Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome back. So today I'm joined by Dr. Stephanie Senner, who is a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab. She has published over 200 peer-reviewed papers in the scientific journals. Her recent interests have focused on the role of toxic chemicals and micronutrient deficiencies in health and disease, with a special emphasis on the pervasive herbicide Roundup. Her investigations have led to a strong hypothesis that glyphosate, the activate ingredient in Roundup, is the key factor in the autism epidemic and in many other neurological, metabolic, oncological and autoimmune diseases. She has authored over 30 peer-reviewed journals over the past few years on these subjects and has delivered numerous slide presentations all around the world. She's currently writing a book on glyphosate that will hopefully be released in 2020. So in this episode we cover a, a wide range of subjects and I could have spoke to Stephanie for another three hours because she is just a wealth of knowledge. But in this episode, we talk about glyphosate, how it's so prevalent in our environment these days, the connection between autism, depression, chronic fatigue syndrome, cancer, and glyphosate, how glyphosate and GMO crops work together and why this is harming our health and environment, how there's glyphosate in vaccines these days, along with other adjuvants like aluminium or aluminum, plus Stephanie's thoughts and research on vaccinations and the link between these and autism. So we cover many controversial subjects on this episode, but I wanted to get this out, this information out there because it could help so many people. And Stephanie has dedicated her life to educating people, but has received a lot of backlash, as you can imagine, because people are scared and there's a lot of cover up and censoring from large companies like Big Pharma as well. So what I will say is do your own research, have an open mind, especially when it comes to the vaccination piece. And Stephanie also shares a ton of resources as well for you to do so. Okay, so let's hop into the episode now with Stephanie. So hi, Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Why don't you start off by telling us a bit about who you are, what you do and how you got into the world and specialization in things like glyphosate and GMOs and sulfate, all of these things that we're gonna be talking about today. Yeah, that's quite a question, but it is actually a very interesting journey for me because I've been interested in autism for quite some time. I had a friend 30 years ago whose son uh, got a DPT shot, had a high fever, uh, seizures a week later, later diagnosed with autism. That sort of planted a seed mm. to, in my mind to watch for autism. And I okay. saw the rates going up dramatically around 20, 2000, uh, 19, uh, 2006, 2007 timeframe. I saw the rates were basically rising exponentially and that really concerned me and especially because most of the research dollars were directed towards genetics, exponential growth is not a genetic problem. You know, there's genetic sensitivity, there's genetic predisposition to be more likely to get it, but there's something in the environment that has to be causing the epidemic. That's what I felt and I wanted to find out what it was. So mm -hmm. 
I was able to kind of transition my research at work. I, I had been working really on uh, developing uh, spoken dialogue systems that was precursors to things like Amazon's Echo and, and Siri, um, you know, conversation with a computer to, to solve a joint problem. Um, we had been doing that for many, many years. And, um, and I was getting into language learning too, building dialogue games uh, to, to, on the computer to help people learn a second language, stuff like that. So I completely abandoned all of that after a few years, switched over to uh, biology and medicine and um, disease, and um, particularly focusing on autism and also heart disease. I sort of picked those two uh, to pursue and looking at drugs, you know, interactions and things like that. So vaccines, drugs, I was doing that for five years. Uh, thinking vaccines could be a major factor in autism, which I think is true. However, I, after five years, I concluded it wasn't the key thing. I was still missing the key piece of the puzzle. Vaccines could explain part of it, but not all of it. And I was particularly intrigued by the dysbiosis in the gut that's linked to autism. You see a lot of issues with the gut um, connected to autism. And I was like, what is it that's causing this problem with the gut? You know, so I was sort of frustrated and discouraged. And then I happened to just hear a talk serendipity uh, two-hour presentation by Professor Don Huber. That was after five years of looking. And he talked about glyphosate. I didn't know what glyphosate was when I walked into the room. And after two hours, I was convinced I had found my answer. Total epiphany. And I believe I was right. I mean, I still believe I was right. And it's turned out to be much, much more than autism. Um, I believe now that uh, glyphosate is, you would pick it as number one. When you look at all the uh, chemicals in our environment, of course, we have many, many chemicals. I believe glyphosate is the most important one associated with many, many diseases that are also going up dramatically in today's world. So when you see any kind of a nation that starts eating, you know, the, the, the Western food, all the processed foods, they start getting fat, they start getting diabetes, they start, their autism rates start going up, their Alzheimer's rates start going up, all those things start happening once they adopt a Western diet. And I think the reason is glyphosate, the primary reason is glyphosate. Wow yeah that's a big a big statement but I, I'm totally behind you and I think you're just so knowledgeable and I trust what you say and I think people after listening to this episode will start to understand a bit more the dangers of these chemicals and how it could be impacting their health because I think it's very hidden by the industry because it's a huge money-making um, yes. pesticide so I think to start off, we'll get into the autism connection and all of that, but I think people need to understand what glyphosate actually is. So yes. could you tell us what it is, where it's found, is it worldwide, and what are the health risks associated? Right. Uh, okay, again, <laughs> big question. But I know, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's true. It's just it's all a big topic. Glyphosate is by far the most used herbicide on the planet, so it kills weeds. It kills all plants, actually, except for those that have been engineered through an insertion of a bacterial gene to resist it. And so they came up with this idea of the GMO Roundup Ready crop. So Roundup is what you may be familiar with, a very, very common chemical. You can go, it's, you know, it's, it's widely available. You don't yeah. have to have any kind of regulatory restriction on it. And uh, you can use it to kill the weeds in your yard, you know, in your, in your driveway or in your walkway or, you know, any kind of weed you want to kill, just spray some glyphosate on it, no problem. Roundup. Um, mm -hmm. So the Roundup is a, is a formulation. And there are many, many different formulations with different names that are used. But uh, glyphosate is so it's used very commonly uh, by people, random people in their yards, which I think is also a serious problem. Some, some kids are getting exposed because their parents just don't realize uh, how dangerous it is, because we've all been told it's extremely safe, it's harmless to humans. 
And it's hard to wrap your brain around the idea that that's not true. You know, at this point, because you've just been told it so many times, it's hard not to believe that. And it's hard to believe that they could have been so wrong, you know? Yep. And um, it's in all over the food supply. It's, uh, you know, it's being found now. People are looking for it. Mostly it's not the regulatory agencies. The U.S. government uh, knows there's lots of glyphosate in the food. They don't even bother to test it. It's like, of course it's there. It's expensive to test. Why do we care? It's harmless. Fine. You know, this is how the U.S. government views it. Uh, Canada actually took an initiative. And I think Canada was the most um, impressive country in terms of actually measuring for glyphosate. And they recently measured some 8,000 different food samples for glyphosate and reported the results and gave them to an activist who was the one who was harassing them to do it. Right, His good. name is Tony Mitra. He's awesome. He's an Indian descent, uh, Canadian citizen, Tony Mitra, friend of mine. And he's just been fantastic out there really, you know, bothering the government and letting them know we have a problem here. And um, so, he, so he wrote a book called Poison Foods of North America which is available, uh, you can get an ebook in, on, uh, on the web and has all this data in it. And, uh, and it's very discouraging because there's very high levels in surprising places like uh, garbanzo beans and chickpeas. They sort of had the highest levels of anything that was tested. Um, uh, lentils, so all these legumes. Mm -hmm. And that's because, it's not because they're GMO, they're not GMO. So you see non-GMO, great, I'll buy that, uh, loaded with glyphosate because they were sprayed right before harvest and it goes into the, into the seed, so the, the plant takes up the glyphosate and puts it into the food right before it dies. And this is true for wheat and barley and rye as well. And so, and also um, sugarcane is sprayed right before harvest, so mm -hmm. it's in the sugar. Um, wheat is a serious problem. I think celiac disease, the incidence is now something like 1% of the population, and I believe it is a direct hit. Glyphosate, I've written papers, um, at least one paper, and I'm working on a second one that shows how glyphosate could be uh, implicated in uh, increase in celiac disease. That's gluten intolerance. And many people are saying, no, I'm, I'm not celiac, but I don't eat wheat because you know, I have sensitivities. And um, so it's not just the celiac population, but the wheat is contaminated with glyphosate. Generally it comes up pretty high levels in different wheat products and things that are really popular with children. Oats is another one, by the way, that's sprayed right before harvest, very high levels. Cheerios, um, oatmeal, uh, there's a, a paper out of Brazil that I just saw where they were measuring the amounts in baby formula, soy-based baby formula, and they found it in lots of different uh, Brazilian formulas uh, up to levels of 1,000 parts per, per, per billion. So that is a huge amount mm -hmm. um, in terms of, um, it sounds small, a billion, but it's yeah. parts per billion is what you're measuring. And over 1,000 parts per billion is one of the highest levels you see. And you're seeing that also in the chickpeas and the garbanzo beans. So and, and the Cheerios have high levels and, um, you know, goldfish crackers, Oreo cookies, these things that are very popular with the children have high levels of glyphosate. So our kids are all being poisoned by this chemical every day, pretty much. And if it was so harmful to our health, like, why is it still used? Why is it not banned now? Well, because everyone's being told it's not harmful. That's the thing. They were being told it's a beautiful chemical. It's got a very specific target. It, it, it wrecks the, the plants because it interferes with a particular uh, enzyme in the shikimate pathway, which is a pathway that, a biological pathway that human cells don't have. So yeah, 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 we're fine. You know, this is the argument that's used. And it's particularly not valid because our gut bacteria have the shikimate pathway and they use that pathway to produce uh, the aromatic amino acids, which are, you know, three of the 20 coding amino acids in DNA code, absolutely essential for protein building. Uh, but also those are precursors to all kinds of important act biologically active molecules 
such as all the, um, all, the, all the hormones like serotonin, melatonin, dopamine, thyroid hormone, all of those come out of that chicobane pathway. And also folate, the B vitamin. And um, so the bacteria normally are making these aromatic amino acids for us, for their host, using their shikimate pathway that's being busted by glyphosate. This mm -hmm. is what I think is happening. is a critical piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So when you get serotonin deficiency, you get things like depression, you know, or violent behavior. And, um, and then melatonin comes from serotonin, so you get sleep disorder. We have an epidemic. I've looked at sleep disorder from data from the, from the web and perfect match. The rise in issues with sleep disorder matches perfectly with the rise in glyphosate usage on core crops. And sleep disorder is connected to a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. So exactly if you're not sleeping then your um energy levels and obviously your immune system it's just a knock-on effect from there and i know the connection between glyphosate and the amino acid glycine but what are the yes. other two amino acids that are affected well so there's yeah there's four because glycine is actually a fourth one okay. the aromatic amino acids are the three that are produced by the shikimate pathway and glyphosate disrupts that enzyme i believe it disrupts it by actually substituting for a glycine residue in the enzyme so glycine is another amino acid. That's the fourth one. And it totally messes up glycine everywhere it goes. Glycine is also a neurotransmitter. So it messes up glycine as a neurotransmitter and it messes up glycine in the, in the proteins, which is where it gets really interesting because my belief, and I think the evidence is overwhelming, but I'm being told that it's impossible. So this is a very controversial topic. I am claiming, and I'm claiming it very strongly, that glyphosate is actually getting into proteins by mistake in place of glycine because it is a complete glycine molecule glyphosate is a beautiful glycine molecule the only difference is it has some extra materials stuck onto its nitrogen atom so the the system is not paying attention to the nitrogen atom it's looking at the rest of it and it says oh this matches beautifully so it puts it right into the pocket and then it's good to go and so it assembles it into the into the protein where glycine should go but glyphosate is very very different from glycine because it has this extra bulky stuff that has this negative charge uh, and it make it water soluble so it totally disrupts certain proteins that have glycine residues that are super important to them. So it's mm -hmm. really quite interesting to go through the research literature, finding the proteins that would be predicted to be affected by glyphosate. Yeah. And of course, it fits beautifully for EPSP synthase, which is the one in the shikimate pathway that it famously disrupts. That protein has a highly conserved glycine residue at the place where its substrate called PEP binds. PEP has a phosphate. Glyphosate has a methylphosphonate, which looks very similar to phosphate. Glyphosate comfortably puts its methylphosphonate in the spot where PEP is supposed to go. So it's, it's part of the protein that's sticking into the hole where the substrate's supposed to fit. Now the substrate can't fit. So the uh, protein is, can't work anymore. So I believe that is a, the reason why. That's how it's, it suppresses PEP, EPSP mm -hmm. synthase. And if that's true, you can then look for other proteins that have exactly that same setup. You know, and there are human proteins that also have highly conserved glycines at places where phosphate binds, very specific. There are many. And certain ones are super, super important. You know, there's one that's a very important regulatory protein for, uh, for all the metabolism of glucose and whatnot. And so it gets like gluconeogenesis, which is called when the liver has to make glucose because the blood sugar is too low, it needs to use this protein that is exactly like EPSP synthase also binds PEP at a place where there is a highly conserved glycine. So I predict it would affect that protein as well. So you can mm -hmm. find other proteins that it would affect uh, the same way that it affects the one that it famously affects. And then you can explain what you see because glyphosate, so this is going to cause liver disease. You can predict that if that enzyme's not working, it's called PEPCK. 
if it's not working, you're going to get fatty liver disease, you're going to get elevated um, AST and ALT. These are enzymes, liver enzymes that they say, oh, you've got liver disease. So all these markers of liver disease are going to show up if that enzyme's not working. And it's been shown in many studies that, that glyphosate below regulatory limits causes exactly this kind of liver disease in rats and other animals. So there's many animal studies that show that the liver is very sensitive to glyphosate at low levels. Mm -hmm. And I predict it's because of messing up the same, this other enzyme that has the same pattern as EPSP synthase. So this is where I'm going is I'm looking at rummaging through the literature, finding proteins. It's quite a fun exercise because you can say, okay, Alzheimer's is going up dramatically in step with glyphosate. What is it that causes Alzheimer's? Does that protein have glycine sensitivities? Would it make sense? And almost always the answer is yes. So I'm doing this with many different diseases and mm -hmm. finding specific proteins that are, uh, likely to be disrupted by glyphosate if it does indeed substitute for glycine. And then I see that those proteins are going up exactly in step with glyphosate usage. So those diseases are going up. I think so it would be easier. Puzzle. Yeah. I think it'd be easy for you to find the things that aren't connected to glyphosate because it sounds yeah, like I know. it's going to affect the <laughs> well, whole system. The whole well, that's body. a thing. Yeah. And this is why people say, well, you know, correlation doesn't mean causation. You always hear that. And then how could one chemical cause so many diseases? Those are the two comebacks that I get all the time, right? Correlation doesn't mean causation. How could one chemical cause so many diseases? And I've answered, I think, both of those uh, complaints. You know, a, one chemical can cause so many diseases if it has such a diabolical mechanism of toxicity, which is totally unique to glyphosate. There's nothing else that I know of that can substitute for glycine during protein synthesis. You know, it's the only chemical I know of. And the, the studies are pretty amazing because there were studies that have been done by the chemical industry. They said, well, okay, this, this thing is, this chemical is so fantastic. Why don't we see if we can find another one that's almost like it and see what we can do with that? And so they did like a thousand different, what they call glyphosate analogs, different, um, you know, molecules that had very small tweaks. You know, let's just replace the nitrogen with something else, or let's just replace this carbon with something else. All these different versions that were very similar, should have very similar biophysical and biochemical properties to glyphosate, only they were not an amino acid analog of glycine. That was their one difference. None of them were. And none of them worked. You know, only glyphosate worked. They're like, oh, wow, this is something very special about this you know, molecule. Yeah. Well, of course, it's a glycine. You know? and, and there are many other examples of uh, toxic chemicals that work by, as analogs of amino acids, not of glycine, but of other amino acids. There's plenty of examples of those in the literature. Absolutely. That cause disease. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, it's a mechanism that we know exists. And then I can't think of a, of a strong enough reason why it wouldn't be happening to say that it's not happening. Whereas what the industry says, tells everybody is it's impossible. Mm -hmm. Forget it. It's impossible. She's, she's, you know, mm -hmm. she's smoke, she's smoking dope. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> so I'm sure you've heard it all. Stand. Yeah. You'll get all yeah, that's of where we stand. It's, Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. Yeah. And with the connection between fatty liver and diabetes and metabolic syndrome, take Oreos, for example, how much of it would be the glucose and the sugar and the um, yeah. industrial seed oils that's contributing as opposed to the glyphosate? Like, how can you tell which one's the, the worst? Well, that's the big, big, you know, $64,000 question, because I believe I'm starting to believe that, you know, we've been saying, oh, well, sugar is bad for you. You know, we're just like, we see that it's not working when you eat a lot of sugar. It's not good. So sugar must be bad for you. And then we kind of come up with reasons why it might be. My personal belief is that it's 90% glyphosate. And that would be my guess. That Ooh, glyphosate really? is okay. the reason why all these things are not working. And it's because it's messing up our metabolism. We can yeah. handle sugar 
in the old, when I was a kid, you know, people ate lots of pies and cookies and we didn't have this, we didn't have obesity, you know, so the obesity is not from the sugar. I don't think, I think it's from the glyphosate in the sugar mm-hmm. and in everything else, which is messing up our metabolism so that we can't, you know, we can't metabolize fats. We can't metabolize sugars. We, we're, it really, really messes up our digestive system. Yeah. And that makes sense because glucose is our primary source of fuel. So if we yeah. are designed to run off glucose, why are we having so many problems with high blood exactly. sugar and high insulin? Yeah. Makes sense. That's right. And I think the reason it's actually compens- compensatory because uh, we have a problem with uh, hypoglycemia in infants. Um, and uh, I think it's because of this enzyme being messed up, this PEPCK, because it, it, the en- when the infant is born, well, when they're in the womb, they're getting all the sugar from their mom because it's in the blood that just helps themselves. Once they're born, that sugar goes away and they start getting a lot of milk, which has, you know, lactose. So they have to convert things into sugar. They can't, um, they won't have enough blood glucose unless they can convert things like that and, and lactate into sugar. And they depend upon this enzyme, PEPCK, to do that. So when the, lip, when the enzyme can't do that, then they get hypoglycemia. They can go into a coma and they can die. And that's probably connected to SIDS, SIDS mm-hmm. sudden infant death syndrome. Yeah. And so you have to raise the set point on sugar in your blood if you're anticipating that at any moment you might get a, a dose of glyphosate that might knock it down, right? So you have to make sure to raise the set point in order to compensate for going into a coma, to prevent from going into a coma should you suddenly have a, should your liver suddenly have to cope with a bunch of glyphosate. So yeah. I think it makes sense to have the hypo, hyperglycemia as a reaction to the possibility of hypoglycemia if you're getting suddenly a, a big dose of glyphosate. Definitely. And is eating organic enough? I hear people say uh, that it needs to be 100% organic and then people say even organic food has residues of um, pesticides and things. So what's your belief with that? Is it still worth it? Is it still worth it? I believe it's worth it. We are obsessive in my household. We right. don't, we, our spices, our, our wine, um, all of our food, everything is organic. Um, we won't buy it if it's not certified organic. And sometimes we have to say, well, we can't make this because we can't find it. Sure. Mm-hmm. We can't find the ingredients. So we won't make it anymore. We've really just, um, and luckily we're getting more and more availability. We're finding in the United States that uh, the availability of organic is growing uh, dramatically, exponentially, actually, in step with the rising glyphosate usage on core crops, interestingly enough, because more and more people are becoming aware. And they're finding experimentally when they switch to an organic diet that their problems go away. Many people are finding that. There's yeah. a movie um, out about that. So uh, Secret Ingredients, I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's a, a movie that's about, it's an interesting documentary, and it's mostly about one family. It's quite good, actually. Uh, because it has a drama, you know, it's one family's mm-hmm. recovery and the whole family, and it's all true. The whole family was sick going into the beginning of the movie and all they did was to convert to an organic diet. And then by the end of the movie, everybody had healed. It's quite remarkable. Interesting. Good. Yeah. Is that online or Netflix or something? Uh, yeah, I think it's available on Netflix. I, cool. I, I've watched it. I, I think, I think you, can, you can find it. Uh, yeah. Secret I'll, yeah, I'll have a look if I can find it and then I'll link it into the show notes for people to that would be um, great. have a look look at i'll definitely be tuning in and why is it that organic food has glyphosate residue on there is it because they can use it in low amounts in certain situations or is it just what's in the uh that's maybe contaminating it a little bit well i mean you can't avoid it it's everywhere for example it's in the rain and there was a study from kentucky and i think it found it in something on the order of 70 or 80 percent of the rain samples had glyphosate in them. I even uh, collected some rain in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I sent it to Anthony Stamsel, who was collecting data 
he found glyphosate in the rain that came down in Cambridge where I, where I live, Ooh. you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's I found that stuff. out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's, and it's in honey, for example, they, there was a, someone who did a study on all these different honey samples from around the world. And they had a whole plot, chart with how much was in all these different you know honey samples and you could see they had a whole cluster of samples that were u.s honey united states you know and then they had other european and mexico and you could see on average all the high numbers you know are clustered in the united states samples it's just because united states and, and canada are the worst offenders um i feel in the world um mm -hmm. possibly australia is right up there UK is probably not great. <laughs> and I feel like the rest of Europe, my sense is, and of course I, ha I don't have specific numbers, but my sense is that the rest of Europe is better than UK and uh, UK is better than US, which is competitive with Canada, but yeah. US and Canada are top dog. And so here, and in fact, I tell you, Tony Mitra, he measured Canadian foods, but also imports from Europe, from Mexico, from the US. And the, this was the Canadian government, and consistently they found higher levels in U.S. and Canada. And uh, Mexico was competitive with Europe. Europe and Mexico kind of came out about the same, um, much lower levels of glyphosate. And even you could find non-organic products from Europe that had less glyphosate than organic pro products from Canada. Am I right Pretty that it's been, in, it's been banned in certain countries or certain areas, or is that not right? Is it used pretty There's worldwide? There's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Austria, as I understand it, Austria completely banned glyphosate, and Germany is going to phase it out by 2023. And I think France is right on top of that as well. France, Germany, Austria, that is really, really good news, um, because that gives us real hope. Vietnam, I think it was, uh, completely banned it recently. U.S. gave them a really hard time for doing that. <laughs> U.S. is like policing everybody. You can't ban this chemical. You know, yeah. I, I, I just, it infuriates me, because this is my country, and I'd like to be proud of it. And it's hopeless, you know, <laughs> it's really and discouraging. How do you see it progressing like over the next 10, 20 years? Is, is there any way for it to get worse? Hopefully not, but, or do you yeah. see things changing for the positive? Well, what I am predicting is that people are, people already are getting sicker and sicker. I see here, I mean, so many people are in absolute crisis with health yeah. issues in the United States. It's just really come to a crisis point for many people. It's the same here. And, yeah. And so, you know, people have to wake up and I think it's going to be bottom up grassroots, uh, spread the word to your friends, show them that if you switch to organic, you, you heal, you know, and um, and then I think uh, bit by bit, we'll we'll drive it to the market. We'll just they we won't buy the food. So if we don't buy the food, they won't make it. The farmers are going to have to change at the same time. The farmers are the farms are failing. I mean, in the United States, we have a huge problem this year. It feels like the disasters are getting worse and worse, you know, flooding. Mm -hmm. And then um, the, the, the land is so waterlogged, you can't plant the crop. And then by the time you plant it, it's too late to harvest it because the frost is coming. I mean, it's, and then the yield, it, you know, it's just like the yield's going down. The soil is becoming so um, easily eroded because there's not enough organic matter because it's messing up the organic matter in the soil. It's doing a lot of messing with the soil. It's messing up the bacteria there. It's messing up our gut bacteria and it's messing up the soil bacteria in the same way is preventing nitrogen fixation, for example. So you have to use more nitrate fertilizers. Now we have a huge problem with um, algae, you know, blue-green algae. We have this um, cyanobacteria that are poisoning the waters. And uh, in Florida, you have these millionaire home, multi-millionaire homes, you know, on the waterfront with this, with this green muck that's poisonous right outside the door. You know, it's right. just like, because Florida is having a huge problem. They're spraying glyphosate on the, on the, um, uh, sugarcane crops around mm. this uh, this lake that's in central southern Florida, and then that water's just going everywhere and making a mess of things. So, 
and they're getting the red tide as a consequence of that too because the the uh, the algae that eat that are in the red tide that cause that toxic uh, chemical feed on the blue green algae which actually are able to clear glyphosate so the blue green algae are thriving because they can metabolize the glyphosate and that's good they're getting rid of it but then they're producing a mess up in the balance of the nutrients such that the red tide comes and then that's got this you know toxin that can kill you i mean it's just really really scary and i think it all date goes back to the glyphosate it's just messing everything up you know in in the water in the soil in the in the gut probably by the way in the air i'm suspecting that the cloud bacteria are being messed up by glyphosate and that's why we're having this really strange weather with all these droughts and these floods because i suspect that uh, there are i know there are bacteria in the clouds and i suspect that they play a ro major role in the weather managing the clouds and whatnot and so that's another thing to think about in the whole research area that's poorly studied but i'm mm -hmm. guessing it just makes sense if it's yeah. going to be everywhere else why not in the atmosphere as well it does so it's wrecking our health and it's wrecking the, the planet at the same time yeah crazy and with testing is it even worth us testing for glyphosate or can we all just assume that we have I have to okay. confess that I have tested for glyphosate and I tested positive. So I was upset about right. that because yeah. I've been eating organic for a long time. But, you know, it's everywhere. And I think it's probably also in the fumes from the gasoline. I'm wondering about that because gasoline, at least in this country these days, has 10% ethanol. And that ethanol is derived from GMO Roundup Ready corn. And so, and alcohol, you know, alcoholic drinks are all testing positive. So I'm guessing that it's in ethanol. The ethanol is being burned in the gasoline tank and the glyphosate's being released into the air. It doesn't break down on high heat. So it's being released into the air and we're breathing it. And that's, you know, that's probably contributing to all our lung problems. You know, we have a lot of problems with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, you know, and asthma and all these lung problems that are probably connected to breathing glyphosate. Is there a way for us to actively detox glyphosate um, on a regular basis, apart from eating as organic as possible, are there any specific practices or herbs or nutrients that can be helpful? I think so. I mean, that's an experimental area. And I know people who are working on that problem and trying to come up with um, recommendations. And I, one thing that seems to be helping is uh, fulvic acid and humic acid, which is organic matter from the soil. Mm -hmm. They started using that on cows. It was a neat study that I read uh, some time ago. Uh, Mar Margaret Kruger from Germany was an author and maybe the lead author on that study. She's done a lot of interesting work with the animals and they had these cows that were sick and uh, there's a lot of issues with the animals. So the pigs and the cows are having a lot of problems and people are finding when they switch them to an organic diet, they get well. So same story there. But these cows were sick and they tested their urine. They had high levels of glyphosate. And they, and I don't know, they must have just known this from experience as binders and things like that, but they use fulvic acid and humic acid. They use sauerkraut juice, which is very interesting, sauerkraut juice. And I'm not sure what their motivation was. The probiotic is one thing mm. that's going to store the gut microbes. I am suspecting, and this has not been proven, but I'm suspecting that possibly those probiotics contain microbes that can break down glyphosate. So I've been sort of looking for microbes that can break down glyphosate because there are microbes in the soil. If those microbes are in the soil, they'll break it down and it will disappear. So that's really great. And whether those soil bacteria could be inhabiting our gut, in some people, you know, people who appear to be insensitive to glyphosate, it could be because they have gut microbes growing in their gut that are able to metabolize it. So I'm wondering if the, it's a theory that I have that uh, apple cider vinegar is another one that's similar to sauerkraut, the, uh, the acetobacter that are in that uh, I know that there are species of acetobacter that can break down glyphosate. So the question is whether those species are in those 
um, food products that they could even, you, you, you eat the, um, you have the vinegar, we do this, we eat apple cider vinegar on our salad pretty much every day before dinner. And we're hoping that the apple cider vinegar has these acetobacter who can, in the oral cavities, before they even hit the stomach, they could be breaking down the glyphosate to reduce the amount, um, you know. Because once mm -hmm. they get into the stomach, they could get killed because with the acid environment. But in the meantime, they can really do a good job in the, in the oral cavity to help uh, clear the glyphosate before it even gets to the stomach, which would be awesome if it's true, but we don't know. Another thing is chlorine dioxide um, and also ozone therapy. These are both interesting to me. These are sort of alternative medicine treatments that people are, are experimenting with. And uh, I don't know if you know anything about chlorine dioxide. No, never That's heard of that That's an interesting one. one. Yeah, well, it's very controversial. In the United States, there's tremendous uh, pushback. So there's, we're getting told by the media, by the uh, medical professionals, that chlorine dioxide is toxic, you never should take it, it's like bleach, you know, they're really discouraging people from taking it. Uh, I have done research into it because I have seen uh, other people who, testimonials from many, many people who have said, my God, this was just amazing, what it did for me, it helped me so much. So I've been, and including reversing autism, there's a woman in Germany named Carrie Rivera, she's become a friend of mine, I'm fascinated with her, she's been treating autism, thousands of, pa of patients of autism over the past several years. Uh, she has an autistic child herself, and that's where her journey started. And she tried, uh, she spent, she claimed she spent a million dollars trying to heal her child and, um, and mostly not succeeding. And then she finally, you know, someone who said, why don't you try this? And, and she found dramatic improvement. And then she became so interested that she decided to sort of tell the world. And so she has re reversed autism in 550 and counting patients and all of them have chlorine dioxide as part of their treatment protocol and so um so she, so i'm like wow well, how is this working you know i need to figure this out it turns out chlorine dioxide is not bleach but it is sort of a cousin it's not nearly as um it has it, it does oxidize so that it's just like so oxygen for example is oxidative it's it's dangerous oxygen is dangerous but we have to breathe and oxygen also you know helps us to the point where we can't live without it so there's there's things in the world that are natural simple natural molecules that have that are reactive um, and that reactivity is what is their benefit but it can also cause collateral damage so that's what you're looking at is this kind of balance between you know some, between something being a poison or being a medicine is like a a matter of degree mm -hmm. and so she offers chlorine dioxide in small doses uh, over the course of the day so the child is taking uh, a small dose every hour for example throughout the day so is that orally or like a cream or orally, IV? Orally, orally. yeah. Or, but you can do it other ways too, but I think orally is what she usually does. And, um, and so, so it's very interesting. And so I've studied chlorine dioxide and it's interesting because it actually has a very specific uh, um, reactivity where it tends to specialize in oxidizing sulfur, which is very important. So chlorine, which is really dangerous, chlorine is what, and chlorine, they put it in the water supply. Thank God, because chlorine actually breaks down glyphosate quite well. So I believe that the U.S. would have a much, much bigger problem with glyphosate in the water if we didn't routinely use chlorine um, to kill the bacteria in the water. So we're using that you know, as an antibacterial agent to make sure the water is safe to drink. But at the same time, we're removing the glyphosate with the chlorine. It's a non-enzymatic degradation of glyphosate. And so chlorine dioxide does too, but it do, it's weaker. It doesn't do it as well as chlorine does, but it does break down glyphosate. So you have to, you, you have to compromise because you mm -hmm. can't take something that's going to hurt you. But the, and chlorine also causes, reacts with organic matter to make toxic products. Chlorine dioxide does not. 
So it's much safer than chlorine. Chlorine dioxide also operates over a much bigger um, pH range, which, which is important because it can and operate different, because um, your, 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 your gut has various levels of pH throughout the gut. So it, chlorine dioxide works at all the pHs, whereas chlorine is very specific. It does different things at different uh, acid levels. So that's a problem. With chlorine dioxide, it's more stable. Oxidizes sulfur, which is super because sulfur oxidation is something that glyphosate messes up. So, and then it breaks down glyphosate. And so, um, and I think it also, the chlorine, both the chloride that it provides and the oxygen that it provides are, are useful to the body. Uh, chloride is another thing that I think glyphosate's messing up. So um, I can see how, it, you know, from the argument of biology, how it would be effective. And also I believe pretty safe. I mean, you can't, you have to be careful, right, with anything like that, but pretty safe. And she's had amazing, uh, you know, results. And other people have used it for other things. Like people use it as a mouthwash. Uh, to, to cure an abscessed tooth, and they found amazing results. You know, it's very cheap. The, the, the um, medical people don't like it because it's very cheap. It's not patentable, you know, and it's effective. <laughs> and so, but you can see on the web uh, enormous numbers of testimonies about the wonders of chlorine dioxide. And then you can see the people who say this stuff is totally toxic. You never yeah. should take it. You know. Yeah. So it's There'll really be one of those. Like the first few pages of Google search, I'm guessing now are going to be it's terrible it's a lot of rubbish because it's all being filtered and all the truth is being hidden that's a whole nother subject but i know it's a lot cheaper exactly. than the um ozone the chlorine dioxide is going to be a lot cheaper than that and i've yeah, not looked into absolutely. that personally so i'm definitely yeah. going to dive into the research and see yeah what i can find ozone is another one that's controversial and the, and the, yeah. and the natural paths really are quite enthusiastic about it yeah. and it's very similar it's, it has oxidation potential, which makes it both good and bad. I mean, it's just like oxygen. Oxygen is, is both good and bad. And the body has to learn, you know, the body has learned how to manage these things. Chlorine dioxide actually produces hypochlorite, which is a, a natural product of the immune system. So the immune cells, when they're fighting bacteria, they release hypochlorite. So, it, you know, chlorine, chlorine dioxide is very natural in that sense, because it's oxygen and hypochlorite. These are things that our cells use all the time. It's not like these crazy chemicals that they've come up with, you know, these patentable, it's frustrating because in autism, there's these two drugs, and I won't be able to give you the names of them, but they're both psych, they're, they're basically um, treating psychotic, um, you know, they, they use these drugs for psychotics as, as, a, um, as a, to help mental disease. And these two drugs are approved for autism, and they're very, very toxic. I've looked at the data on the FDA's adverse event reporting system, and these drugs just have an amazing set of horrible side effects and um, thousands and thousands of reports of um, people being injured by these drugs. Whereas chlorine dioxide, which would also be listed if you were taking it, there's almost nothing in the entire database. There's very few uh, cases where it's even mentioned. And usually it's just one of the other thing the person was taking, not the thing they think was the cause of the problem. So it's very clear that chlorine dioxide compared to some of these drugs, these prescription drugs, it, 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 it pales by comparison. There's just nothing going on with chlorine dioxide compared to these drugs. And yet they're promoting these drugs like crazy. And lots of autistic kids are taking these very toxic um, prescription drugs that are patentable. Mm, but I will have to say for anyone listening, make sure you do your research, make sure you work with someone and not self-treat it if, you, if you're not sure what you're doing. Because everything does come with side effects, the natural and exactly. the, the conventional medication as well. Uh, so just wanted to put that out there. But with the connection between glyphosate and autism as well. I want to talk a bit more about autism because I know that I have a lot of mothers listening to the podcast whose children um, might be autistic or they know someone. I think all of us know someone who's autistic yeah, now because so it's so sad, prevalent. It? Yeah. It's awful. And the, the 
negative impacts that glyphosate has on the gut and the neurotransmitters would they be the main reason that it's connected or the other mechanisms or other pathways that it works on I think that they are a major contributor. There is actually so many different pathways that I can explain now. And I, I mean, autism has been pretty well studied. So there's a lot of um, data on different um, metabolic irregularities with associated with autism. And, um, and I can pretty much explain every one of them, but the serotonin is a big one. The serotonin also dopamine, they both get messed up. All the neurotransmitters, of course, are coming out of that shikimate pathway and the gut microbes are being clobbered by the glyphosate. So they can't produce enough of these um, precursors to the, uh, to the neurotransmitters. And so low serotonin, um, low dopamine, and often the kids get an overgrowth of clostridia uh, bacteria, and clostridia actually interfere with dopamine uh, metabolism. So that actually helps to raise the dopamine, but then the dopamine gets too high. I mean, there's like just a complete, um, your body's no longer able to control these really critical neurotransmitters the way it should, you know, just the whole, um, regulation, regulatory process is messed up. This happens with the uh, minerals as well. And there's all kinds of mineral problems with autism that are, um, and it's not just mineral deficiencies. Again, it's that glyphosate binds very tightly to minerals, to, particularly plus two cations like uh, calcium, magnesium, uh, manganese, cobalt. Um, these are all, you know, these are micronutrients. You need them in tiny amounts, but they're absolutely critical for certain proteins to work, certain enzymes. And so uh, iron is even is one. And so um, all of those um, zinc, iron, zinc, you know, manganese, mag magnesium, cobalt, all those minerals are gonna get messed up by glyphosate. Glyphosate hangs onto them very tightly and then it'll drop them off once the, um, in an acidic environment. So as long as it's not acidic, the glyphosate's hanging onto the molecule, to the atom, which is preventing even the gut microbes from getting access. So for example, lactobacillus critically depends on manganese. And manganese is, uh, binds very tightly to glyphosate, so the, the lactobacillus become deficient in manganese, and then that causes them to die. So we're seeing a complete, um, in the old days, if you look back in the 1920s, 1930s, you look at papers, they talked about the infant gut, and the infant gut is almost totally lactobacillus. Like, those guys just totally take over, and those are the guys that digest the milk. But it, lactobacillus is very sensitive to glyphosate compared to other microbes. And so the lactobacillus are being killed and then other things come in and start growing and messing everything up and the balances are wrong and the things that lactobacillus normally does for you are not being done. And for example, one of those is digesting wheat because gluten has a difficult, is a difficult protein, difficult to break down. Lactobacillus have several different um, enzymes that specialize in breaking down gluten. So when the lactobacillus are broken, the gluten doesn't get broken down. And then you get these gluten peptides that are allergenic that open up the gut barrier. They cause leaky gut. And then those gluten peptides get into the general circulation. The immune cells get upset and they attack it. And then you end up with celiac disease. I've seen the mineral issue as well. I, I run quite a lot of her tissue mineral analysis testing with my clients and even the most healthiest women and they take all of the multivitamins and mineral supplements and they're still flatlined in the core minerals, calcium, magnesium, all of these things. And they wonder why And a simple yeah. mineral deficiency can affect the whole body. So it's no exactly. wonder why all of these symptoms can be present. Yeah. But right. with, I think I kind of know what your answer is going to be, but with autism, do you think that it's a condition that can be reversible? 
I do actually. And that was a big question that I had for a long time. Is it reversible? I have now met people who formerly had autism. I've talked to them in person and they seem perfectly fine. So that is really, really, really good news. I love it actually, because what I believe is autism is a defense mechanism. I think the body sees that, oh my God, you know, this is gonna work. If I stick with the program, we're gonna kill off all the neurons. So we better shut down, you know? So they basically turn off all the connectivity in the brain in order to protect the neurons from being killed. So the neurons are, are sort of in a, in a coma, you could say, you know, they're not working because they know that if they try to work, they're gonna die. Because the combination of having to do their job in the presence of these toxic chemicals is gonna kill them. So they better just shut down. That's what I think is happening. I think it's a defensive mechanism, which is, I think, really, really good news yeah. that you can still hope that it can be reversed. In fact, one of Carrie's patients who got reversed, I think it was in his 20s, just truly, truly amazing. He was in his 20s when he got mm. reversed. And yeah. I actually have, have heard from people. There was a guy who, con I have people who contact me and he was very interesting and he told me all about his work. I mean, his observation of himself. And he said he observed himself uh, having all these problems, all these mental problems. And he was sort of self-diagnosing and sort of taking notes and trying to figure out. And he finally said, oh my God, I think I have autism. You know, he's sort of an epiphany. I think I'm, I'm getting autism. <laughs> and then he said he switched to an organic diet and he was the, you know, contacting me to say, you know, I switched to an organic diet and now I'm much better. So it's, you know, these kinds of things that people share with me really, really make me sing. I mean, they really give me hope. Yeah. So I think if you have an autistic child, you should not give up on them. You should really believe that they could have a miraculous recovery. Absolutely. It's so super. Really, and really good to know that. I'm guessing the earlier you intervene, the better. And the longer Absolutely. it goes on, the more imbalances there are. But yeah, typically the gut issues and the clostridium and heavy metals, the mineral imbalances, there's so many different factors. And I know it can seem overwhelming for a lot of people, but it's also yeah. empowering. Like you said, there are things that you can do. And even yeah. if you don't get full recovery, um, because there could be some long-term damage yeah. done, there could at least be improvements in digestion or slight behavioral changes. So that's a good thing as well. And yes. before we started recording, you mentioned how even vaccines have been found to have glyphosate in there as well. Yes. Could you really talk a bit, yeah, talk a bit more about that and what other adjuvants are in the vaccines that we, yeah. we need to be aware of? Right. Well, aluminum is, of course, it's a big issue with the vaccines. Uh, people know about mercury. Mercury is also a problem, but there's less of it now. They've been, become aware of mercury and they've cut back on it. It's still in the vaccine. In fact, it's in the flu vaccine, which really I find really frustrating that it, now they're pretty much prescribing flu vaccine for pregnant women with mercury in it, which is really just a crazy, crazy thing to be doing. Because mercury is very toxic. And I think some of the autistic kids, a lot of their problem is the mercury. And glyphosate actually interferes with the... Um, clearance of mercury because it, you clear it by sulfating it and, glyph and glyphosate messes up the sulfate system uh, but also glyphosate encourages the growth of bacteria that can make turn mercury into a more toxic form so glyphosate is working synergistically with the vaccines even independent of it being in the vaccine so you know just because it's in the body it's going to affect you if you get a vaccine and um, the really scary thing is that two people both Zen Honeycutt and Anthony Samsel uh, have tested multiple vaccines uh, for glyphosate, and both of them found a consistent result, which was that the glyphosate was present in the, only the vaccines, well, for the most part, only in the vaccines that were live virus vaccines. The ones that had aluminum in them typically did not have glyphosate, So, because glyphosate will combine with aluminum, actually, and 
and cause trouble in that respect. But the glyphosate was not really found, or very small levels, if any, in aluminum-containing vaccines. But the live virus vaccines, which is like the MMR, varicella, flu vaccine, all of those contained glyphosate, and some other ones too, I forget, but all the live, pretty much all the live virus vaccines. The disturbing thing is MMR had by far the most, both in Anthony's data and in Zen's data, MMR had by far the most, like three times as much as the other vaccines. And MMR is the one that's been linked to autism by all these uh, people who are, you know, the uh, Andy Wakefield, you probably know about Andy yeah. Wakefield and how he's been turned into, he's been viewed uh, or portrayed as a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of my heroes and I think he's absolutely right. And he was identifying, I believe, what he was seeing was interaction between MMR and glyphosate. And that's what I think is what's causing um, MMR to cause autism is um, maybe in large part due to the glyphosate that's in the vaccine. That's my belief. And the glyphosate is, I believe, working synergistically with the virus. And I've even, um, there's uh, several papers by uh, Professor Singh, S-I-N-G-H, and, and co- colleagues in, in uh, Salt um, University of Salt Lake University, I forget, <laughs> Utah State University, some, something in Utah, a, mm-hmm. a, a university in Utah. I haven't quite got the name. I have no um, idea. I can't help you with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might be Utah State. Uh, anyway, a, a university in Utah. Um, several papers going back to the 1990s where he is claiming that MMR could cause autism via autoimmune reaction. Very, very interesting uh, information because uh, I don't know if you know about molecular mimicry, but there's um, a whole field uh, that looks into how um, how proteins from other species can cause an autoimmune disease through this mechanism called molecular mimicry, where there's a peptide sequence in a protein produced by some foreign um, you know animal, such as a virus, <laughs> and that peptide sequence happens to be similar to a peptide sequence in a human protein, such that the, when the immune system is too um, eager to clear so it produces too many antibodies, those antibodies can attack the human protein by mistake. It's like they have nearsightedness and they can't quite see straight and they see this thing, they think it's the virus, but it's not. It's actually the human protein. Very, very interesting. And with respect to MMR, the measles virus has a, uh, a protein called hemagglutinin, and that's the protein that you need to get antibodies to in order for the vaccine to take. So they want you to get antibodies to hemagglutinin. And the hemagglutinin has a peptide sequence that is very similar to a peptide sequence in myelin basic protein, which is a protein that is all over the brain. It's in the nerve fibers in the brain and it protects the nerve fibers, you know, and it, and it, uh, it allows the signals to get through. So if myelin basic protein is stripped away and the nerve fibers are not going to work well at all. And, um, so the, the problem is that the autistic child, a child predisposed to autism has a leaky brain barrier. So it's a lot of things that have to go on. Leaky brain barrier, the virus um, and a weak immune system. So the virus that takes hold, the virus gets into the brain. The brain's immune system develops antibodies to the hemagglutinin, and then they attack the myelin basic sheets. This is the story that Professor Singh has worked out as a mechanism by which MMR could be causing autism. And uh, the interesting thing is that particular peptide sequence that is similar is about maybe I don't know, 15 uh, amino acids long, and three of them are glycines, and there are the same three glycines in the one that matches. So they both have those three glycines that line up. And so if the MMR is, if the measles virus is grown on glyphosate, which is what's happening, it's in the collagen and, and the fetal bovine serum that is supplied as nutrients when they grow the live virus. And so the virus is incorporating glyphosate into the hemagglutin, and this is what I think is happening. And then the glyphosate and the hemagglutin makes it very difficult to break it down, makes the immune system more responsive. 
um, also, you know, creates uh, the leaky gut, uh, leaky gut, leaky brain situation. And so um, the virus infects the brain and then the brain reacts to the uh, glyphosate contaminated hemagglutinin much more acutely than it would have if the hemagglutinin didn't have the glyphosate in it. That's what I'm hypothesizing. So it's an extension of the theory of Professor Singh yeah. uh, to say that glyphosate would make what he's proposing much worse. Mm -hmm. You're and so then, clever, by the way. <laughs> You're blowing my, my mind right now. <laughs> well, the interesting thing, too, is that MMR is associated with autism much more. I did a study comparing MMR data in the VARS database, the VARS database, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. They have a bunch of data on vaccines, and I've studied them. And if you look at the MMR data before, I took the midpoint of the data at the time I did the study, which was 2003. So I took all the data before 2003, compared it to all the data after 2003, specifically looking at MMR. And I found very statistically significant differences in the reactions and pointing towards the brain inflammation and autism was statistically significantly more common in the later data. So um, it all makes sense to me that the increasing amount of glyphosate in the vaccine is what's causing the vi vaccine to be increasingly toxic over time. So it's getting worse and worse because we're getting more and more glyphosate in our environment every year. And, um, and uh, the vaccine is just, uh, and, and the government is like, they don't care, you know? Yeah, they're doing more and more vaccines in the schedule. It seems to be increasing year upon yes. year. Yeah, it's incredible. It's really incredible when we see all the autoimmunities and there's lots of studies coming out uh, there's a, several studies coming out showing dramatic uh, differences in uh, chronic disease in unvaccinated versus vaccinated children. That's becoming very, very clear um, from studies that are going on right now that uh, the unvaccinated kids have a much, much healthier life uh, with many of these autoimmune diseases, much less common in the unvaccinated kids compared to the vaccinated kids. So. Uh -huh. This is going to have to break through because, you know, there's just this mantra, vaccines are safe and effective, that people seem not to be able to get over. It's like, yeah, vaccines are safe and effective. Forget it. These people are crazy. I mean, you just keep saying that enough and you believe it, which is the same thing with glyphosate. Glyphosate is a beautiful molecule. It's perfectly safe. It doesn't hurt us. We should be so happy to have it, you know. Mm. It, Truth will come out eventually. Lies. Yeah. I hope so. It has to, or else we're <laughs> going to go extinct because we're we're losing a lot of ground on fertility, and I think that's also glyphosate's a major player there. Absolutely, and I heard one of the producers of Vaxed, the documentary Vax Two. I don't know if it's out yet. I don't know if you're. Aware. I am watching for it. It is coming yeah, out, and I'm it's soon. I think to watch it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. and I she was talking wait. about they're going to be looking at different families, families who started off with a vaccinated child who developed autism yes. and some other conditions. Then they had a middle child who they um, changed the vaccine schedule. So they maybe had half of what they were uh, prescribed. And then the final child had none at all. And they were the healthiest. They didn't have any asthma or allergies, any health issues at all. They never needed antibiotics. So looking forward to that one coming out. Definitely. I know. I know. And, that's so interesting, isn't it? And that's the sort of data that you have to, you can't ignore that kind of data, you know? Mm -hmm. And are there any other books or resources on that subject? Obviously, the first documentary could be a good one. Um, any favorites? Yeah, Vax and Vax 2 are both yeah. good. And, and there's books that I, I really uh, like. Um, um, let's see. Uh, Dissolving Illusions. Okay. Dissolving Illusions is an excellent book about vaccines. And then there's also a novel that I found really delightful, um, A Tale of Two Sides. Um, 
Tale of Two Sides, and that's, um, that's a novel, but it actually is done very well because it has a lot of uh, factual information in it. I can vouch for it because I know mm -hmm. the facts, and they were very, very uh, honest with the facts, and they portray scenarios where uh, things are happening that, you know, sh showcase uh, the issues that we face with the two sides, you know, it's sort of a, uh, and it's very well done. I think it's, it's entertaining as a novel, and it's, uh, and it has a lot of information in it, so that's also, Great. Uh, it's also how to, how to Cure the Autism Epidemic. How to Cure the Autism yep. Epidemic. That's also a good one. Perfect. So, those so I'll three. link those as well. And I've not read any of those. So I'll definitely have to yeah, add, those to my, add those to my list. I've got a, <laughs> yeah. with all these podcast recommendations, I have like a, a list of mile uh, long of books to order. And am I right uh, with the adjuvants with, um, with the vaccines? So like aluminum and mercury in mm -hmm. lesser amounts and glyphosate they're all just in mm -hmm. there to provoke the immune system is that correct yeah the aluminum is necessary for those viruses that are not live virus vaccines that you can't put it in the live virus vaccines because you'll kill the virus I and mean, that's kind of interesting too but um, the aluminum makes uh, allows them to put a lot less of the toxin into the vaccine um, which makes it cheaper for one thing, but also I think probably safer with respect to to toxin, except for the fact that aluminum is incredibly toxic. Mm. And the aluminum working together with the toxin, you know, is what really puts the immune system on fire because they, they're really kind of stuck because they're not really, your immune system's gonna just laugh at you if you just give that antigen without the aluminum. It's just gonna say, this is stupid. I'm gonna have to fight this, right? So you won't get the antibodies. So the, the whole basis of the vaccines is to, cause you to uh, produce these antibodies that your body's going to remember the next time you see that disease. It's a very specific um, immunization against a very specific virus, which is really a problem because it doesn't protect you from everything else and everything else is a huge list. And in fact, it, the vaccines weaken your, glyphosate does too, both glyphosate and the vaccines weaken your innate, innate immune system and your innate immune system is usually very, very capable. And so usually you can clear these illnesses without ever invoking antibodies. Whenever you're forced to invoke antibodies, you're running the risk of autoimmune disease. So the vaccines are telling you, get autoimmune disease, basically. They're saying, get these antibodies, get this autoimmune disease, and now you'll be protected maybe. In fact, it wears off as well, so you're not really protected. And we've got a horrible situation with measles right now because it used to be everybody got measles when they were a kid who were immune for life, usually. And now you get the vaccine, it wears off. It wears off actually very quickly, they're finding. Even within a year or two, it's already way down your antibody response. So by the time you get the vaccine as a child, by the time you're a young mother, uh, you have a baby, you have no protection to offer that baby because usually the mother's antibodies will be uh, pr provided for the baby, both in the womb and also in the breast milk. And the baby's protected in that critical first year of life by the mother's antibodies. And the baby's immune system's not mature yet. So... Now we've got a problem with measles showing up much more frequently. It's a totally imbalance. It used to be all children, almost all children. Now it's mostly, you know, way too many infants and way too many people over 20 years old mm. compared to the old days. And those are the people that are more vulnerable to actual severe cases of measles. The ones who should be getting it are being protected such that the wrong people are getting it and they're getting really sick. Absolutely. So we've totally messed it up. It's going to be very hard to get back to where we need to be with the measles. Yeah. I think, and I think people, I think just pe people wonder why can't we just have vaccines without the mercury and the aluminum and the glyphosate? But I don't think that they'd um, work without. Is that right? They... Well, they don't need the glyphosate for sure, but the mm. industry is very casual about it, and they don't care because they've n they're not going to be sued. I mean, in America, I don't know what, what it's like in other countries, but in America, you can't sue the industry if your child yeah. even dies from the vaccine. Mm -hmm. You can't sue them. 
So the industry, is this is fantastic. They're just going to produce all these vaccines, get everybody really sick. Now they can sell all their medicines. They're just going to go, you know, running, laughing to the bank with all the money they're going to make. It's a great scheme. As long as you don't mind that the whole population is sick all the time. You know? Yeah. And I'm guessing you're not in line every year at the doctor's office for your flu shot. <laughs> I have never had a flu shot. And really? I can't remember the last time I had the flu. It's been at least 30, 40 years. I, seriously, I've never had the flu. I don't get the flu. I don't worry about the flu at all. Right. I totally don't worry about it. And this, you know, now 2017, they had in America, there was more deaths from the, from the flu than they had seen in like 16 years. So here they are. I mean, in the, and 16 years ago, it was kind of like, oh, if you're over 65, maybe you should get a flu shot. Now it's like, oh, oh my God, have you gotten your flu shot yet? You know, yeah. everybody, including pregnant women. I mean, it's mm -hmm. insane. They're like, we just have to get everybody vaccinated and then we'll be fine. You know, well, that's not true. The vaccine is making it worse. And every, and he, oh, I'm sorry, this year it didn't match. Well, of course it didn't match because you killed off everybody who would have matched, right? You're giving an opportunistic uh, advantage to the other flu viruses that aren't matching. So those are the ones that are going to make you sick. And you, and you have less defense against them because you've weakened your general immune system. So we're just totally messing up the flu. It's ridiculous. And have you seen the, the pictures, there were a few pictures that went viral last year where it was like, get your free flu shot and then have a donut afterwards. There's like a, a table <laughs> with all of these snacks and sugary treats oh, on there. Like, oh great. God, it's the worst combination ever. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you definitely don't want to carve up before you no. get a flu shot. <laughs> I know. And they were, you could tell they were like luring people in and like rewarding yeah. them. Crazy stuff. Oh, I know. It just drives me nuts. I, it, there's uh, now there's a, like I've heard seen this uh, web page where they're encouraging children to uh, to go ahead and get their shots, but don't tell their parents. You know, you don't need to tell your parents because your parents are crazy because they think you shouldn't get shots. But just don't listen to them. Go ahead and get your shot anyway. Oh my god. No. You know. What's the That's really to? crazy. <laughs> I don't know where we're headed. I mean, I just can't believe that people don't hear the message. You know, it seems so clear to me. And why can't people? understand what's happening to them i don't understand that i mean i can understand why the industry would love to keep us in the dark and they're doing a great job of doing that but why can't we see past that you know this is one thing i find very frustrating so many people are just like no don't go there yeah, vaccines are safe and effective and and we know that and this is false fake news and all that you know they just com complete jump into that rabbit hole and just won't come out you know they just refuse to see what's happening to them and it's very frustrating for me that people can't listen yeah, I think that's why it's such a big passion for me and for you to put some education out there and some knowledge with the podcast and you going on so many different um, platforms and talking about what all of the information that you've researched and that you've learned along the way. But I personally want to know how you've gone 40 years without a flu. So I want to finish up with just <laughs> a few questions about you personally, yeah. just so we can get to know a bit more about you and how you stay healthy. So the first one is what's one thing that you do every day to stay healthy? So we can guess the organic food is a huge one, but is there anything else that you yeah. do consistently? Yeah, well, one thing I'm very uh, keen on is getting sunlight exposure, both to the skin and the eyes. I'm very passionate about sunlight. I think the sun is a, is a gift to us and we're foolish not to take advantage of it. So uh, I think that slobbering, you know, sunscreen all over your body is a really bad idea. And in fact, that's a whole subject we could talk about. But I, when you look at um, skin cancer, melanoma skin cancer rates have been going up by 3% every year for the past 20 years in step with the dramatic rise in the use of sunscreen. So it's like if sunscreen is, is, is protecting you from melanoma, why is melanoma going up in step with sunscreen? That's like a big puzzle, right? Pretty crazy. 
and what uh, people do what do people need to know is it just the vitamin d or or are there other benefits it's not vitamin d that's the thing i mean it, it, vitamin d helps but it, i think vitamin d is the misnomer so a lot of times i say i love the sun and people say yeah i know vitamin d is so important i'm saying no not vitamin d cholesterol sulfate so i have a different reason why i think it's important and i've written a lot about that and that relates to heart disease too i think the sun is very very important to protect from heart disease um, and that's been shown. I mean, when you look at, there's a, lo a lovely study that looked at uh, different countries and their average sun, you know, the amount of sun that the country typically gets, their weather pattern. So places that have a lot of rain uh, versus places that have a lot of sun, places that are closer to the equator. So they had a whole formula for figuring out a number and they put this plot up. And it was very clear that there was a linear inverse relationship. The more sun you get, the less heart disease you get as a nation. I mean, it's really interesting. So that really just epidemiologically, that really shows the sun is helping. And I think that's because of the cholesterol sulfate. So I believe the sun triggers sulfate synthesis in the skin and the sulfate then combines with both vitamin. And it also makes vitamin D in response to the sunlight. And it also makes melatonin, melanin, the skin tanning agent, melanin. All of those are really, really important. So when you use uh, sunscreen, you can't make the melanin either. So your, your skin stays white. So if you're using sunscreen in the spring and not building up a tan, then by the time you get to the summer, if you happen to be outside without sunscreen, you're in big trouble because your skin is so white, you can't protect yourself. Melanin is a very good natural protection from the sun and it lasts, you know, it's not just, isn't just while you're wearing it. You, it goes in, you know, it sticks around. So you can build up a tan in the spring that can really, allow you to be exposed to the harsh sun of the summertime without damage. I believe that. So I always work hard on uh, making sure that I have enough of a tan to be able to withstand the sun. And I, I, I sit outside, read my papers. I mean, I really work on getting sun exposure. I moved to Hawaii mm -hmm. over the winter. So very jealous. You know, people, yeah. People say to me, well, what can I do? I'm in Canada. What can I do? And I, you know, it's hard. It's hard if you don't live in a place where, um, and of course, UK has a lot of rain, so it's difficult there to get enough sun. Whether you should use a sun, you know, tanning agency, I don't know, because those things, again, it's not natural, but if you can get something that's sort of full spectrum light exposure, I think, um, yeah, I wonder what I would do if I couldn't get to a sunny place in the winter, you know. You can build up quite a, um, a buffer, I think, in the summer, so just make sure to get lots of sun when you can. Whenever it's a sunny day, make sure to spend time outside. I would encourage people to do that. And of course, sulfur, I really think sulfur is key. Uh, sulfur deficiency, a sulfate deficiency in particular is systemic in our society. And that's causing all kinds of trouble, including messing up the immune system. The immune system needs sulfate in order to be able to clear garbage and to clear viruses and bacteria. So I eat a high sulfur diet, read lots and lots of garlic, onions, uh, leeks, um, scallions. I love all of those uh, foods. And uh, cruciferous vegetables, we eat tons of those. So those are all vegetable-based sulfur-containing uh, uh, foods. And then I, we also eat a lot of fish and seafood and grass-fed beef. Those are also good sources of sulfur, eggs, organic eggs. So um, I guess I eat more or less a paleo diet, I would say, paleo mm -hmm. diet. Um, so lots of fresh vegetables, fruits, natural, uh, all uh, minimally processed foods, um, fruits and vegetables and meats and fish and uh, and she cheese and cottage cheese, all kinds of dairy. I eat lots and lots of dairy, high fat dairy. Mm. Um, that's my diet. And then um, everything organic and also lots of spices and uh, herbs and spices. Ginger, mm -hmm. ginger's a big one. And, um, you know, coriander and, and parsley, all those different spices. So we, and, and even uh, various peppers, uh, Chinese peppercorn. I love Chinese peppercorn. So I think um, thinking in terms of herbs and spices is important because yeah. those have really interesting molecules that actually help you transport sulfate. That's my belief is that their benefit has to do with sulfate. 
Interesting. And we had and um, also, yeah. Dr. Greg and I on the other week um, talking all about sulfate and he was the one who recommended that you come on the podcast and uh, to talk about some other things as well because you are just a wealth of knowledge on so many different areas but yeah the sulfate uh, the sulfate conversation is so huge and that's another one that can affect every single cell of the body yes. particularly hormones and immunity like you said your gut lining yes. so many things and we also spoke about people who have issues converting sulfur in the diet right. sulfates and how that can mess with some symptoms as well um I so think that's yeah. his specialty actually exactly have that problem yeah, yeah. so sulfur sensitivity so sulfur yeah, intolerance really interesting and that also connects to glyphosate because i believe glyphosate is messing up an enzyme called sulfide oxidase yeah. which is so crucial and that's why your gut is getting you're getting hydrogen sulfide gas um, and uh, that can cause a lot of gut issues so it's a it's a problem for people who can't eat the sulfur-containing foods because their natural thing is to avoid them. And then they get amazing problems with sulfur, sulfate deficiency throughout their body. So they're really kind of stuck. Now, Epsom salt baths is another one that I do very frequently. Uh, lately, I've been doing it every day. So I just throw a little bit of Epsom salt into the bath water, make a really hot bath, basically like a sauna, right? So just soak in the hot water because you get the um, infrared heat, which uh, grows, you know, we can get into the issues of the exclusion zone and whatnot. He, Greg and I may have talk, talked about that, but infrared heat is very healthy. And infrared heat you get from the sun too, of course. You get a lot of infrared in the winter time. So that's, uh, winter has much less UV, which is the one that can be uh, dangerous. So winter sun is actually great. Uh, but uh, Epsom salt baths uh, is magnesium sulfate. So both the magnesium and the sulfate are really good. And um, they can soak through the skin. You don't have to deal with the gut. So I think for people who have gut sensitivities to sulfur, they should really think about epsom salt baths on a regular basis if that can work and maybe they're also sensitive to that but yeah one of my personal favorites and i've noticed a massive difference with food sensitivities and histamine related issues and even my sleep i sleep like a baby after an epsom salt bath um, yes so, me too yeah so i always do it right before bed you know <laughs> such a great sleep aid yeah I so I recommend well. them to literally all my clients and they all love me for it they're usually scared mm -hmm. that i'm gonna make them on a really restricted diet and i'm like no i want you to go to bed early have a nap have an epsom salt bath and they love it <laughs> <laughs> that's what i do actually i didn't say that but i like to have a nap in the afternoon almost every mm -hmm. day so good short nap, like an hour yeah hours nap i love it it's really a pick me up yeah pick me up <laughs> and is there one herb particular herb particular nutrient or supplement that you personally couldn't live without so we know a bit about your diet and the yeah. epsom salt baths the herbs and spices in your meals but do you take any supplements on a daily basis yeah i actually don't and i've tried to avoid supplements in part because i never quite know how they were made you know i really worry about how they're made and i if i were to take it i would be very careful to try to get organic i have taken organic turmeric mm. turmeric organic as a supplement because i turmeric is a great spice uh, we eat curry curry chicken and things like that you know which is has turmeric in it but i think if i were to take one it would probably be turmeric one that I recommend to people is MSM, methyl sulfonyl methane, um, and also chondroitin sulfate and glucosamine sulfate. And you can get all three of those together. Mm -hmm. um, again, if I were sick, I might take that because that's, um, again, that's a way to supply sulfur, not through food, but through supplement. Then um, there's other sulfur-containing supplements too, like alpha-lipoic acid contains sulfur. Um, glutathione, of course, um, which is difficult too, but you can take the precursors uh, and acetylcysteine and adenosyl methionine. I'm not quite sure how to say that. SAME, SAME. Mm -hmm. So, cysteine and methionine are both sulfur containing amino acids. Also, taurine. Taurine is interesting. I, I think taurine is really a good 
uh, sulfur source. Um, I like to get it in my food. So eating fish, for example, has high taurine. Also eggs and, um, and grass-fed beef, you know, they're all good sources of taurine. Taurine is the only sulfonated amino acid. It's a very interesting amino acid. And the brain and the liver and the heart all store tons of taurine. They store it. And I think it's ready to, um, they, they keep it ready as a backup supply of sulfate. You know, they released it under conditions where sulfate is deficient. So I think taurine is really good to have as excess of, so you can store it and have it ready to protect you if you get into a situation where sulfate is dangerously insufficient. Right. Taurine so your body must that. know like it's such an important nutrient. We need to back up supplies just in case. Yes. I think glutathione plays that role also. Glutathione is very interesting because it's, it's uh, three amino acids, yeah. uh, glutamate, cysteine, and glycine. And it's interesting that glycine is one of them. And uh, glutathione, of course, is a really important antioxidant, plays a critical role in protecting the liver from damage. And glutathione uh, is, uh, is known to be depleted by both of both depleted and oxidized by glyphosate. So glyphosate causes you to have a deficiency in the reduced form of glutathione, which is the one that's protective. And autistic kids have a low level of reduced glutathione in their, uh, in their system. So um, you can't, it's not easy to take glutathione as a supplement. So I'm not sure I recommend that, but I think you can take the precursors, uh, cysteine, methionine, glycine even. You know, mm -hmm. maybe taking glycine as a supplement because it will help you to outcompete glyphosate in the proteins. So Good I think idea. all of those, all of those, um, yeah, and glutamate's trickier because that's an that's a, the third one in glutathione, but that's a, a neurotransmitter, and you can get glutamate excitotoxicity. That's the, what's in MSM. And in fact, one of the autistic mothers, uh, I found a really interesting story on her her story for her daughter, who was she was struggling to try to cure her daughter's autism, and she had tried a lot of things that I would recommend, you know, worrying about the leaky gut, eating the organic diet, and then she finally figured out that. Um, that uh, glutamate, MSG in particular, was causing trouble. And so once she was able to eliminate free glutamate from her daughter's diet, and that's what you'll see in a lot of these processed foods. Some of them have MSG in it that's hidden because it'll be called like hydrolyzed protein powder or something. So many of the processed foods have free glutamate, you know, glutamate by itself, as opposed to glutamate built into a protein. This is why I think processed foods in general are bad. And I don't, I have, I will not eat a soy protein bar. I don't think I've ever had one all my life, even before I knew about glyphosate, just because there's so many weird ingredients in there doesn't look like a food, you know? I like to eat things that I can recognize as whole foods. I think that's a really good message to stay away from those processed foods in general. And of course, particularly uh, eat organic, uh, not just non-GMO, but certified organic. Yeah, I was going to ask, what's your key piece of, advice if you were to summarize this whole episode one thing if someone was listening that they could implement right away and i'm guessing it would be eating organic certified organic. Yeah. <laughs> certified organic is number one i think you just do that alone and that's so easy because you can eat it i mean i'm assuming you don't have an absolutely awful diet but you can eat the same things but just buy them organically so that's a really easy change to make without having to change your your diet because a lot of times people get hooked on their diet you know and it's hard for them to give up something if they think it's not good for them so that's a problem but and i think when people organic. when people know more about the harmful effects and when they're more educated they're more likely to pay that little bit extra money and it really is important like voting with your dollar dollar they always say that like it's yes. important where you spend are you going to support the big corporations who are destroying the planet destroying our health or are you going to support the local organic farmers and the um 
the better quality brands yes they may be a little bit more pricey but they are worth it for so many different reasons absolutely and that is a message people really have to get and they have to really believe it and um, because it's hard for people Pe people are so big on cheap food right and of course america prides itself in cheap food we have the cheapest food of any country relative yeah. to our income and we're proud of it you know our food is cheap it's so great and that is just the wrong attitude because it, and it's not just the glyphosate when you look at i i one time i got an organic uh you know um never caged organic egg compared to a sort of terrible egg and um and i opened them up and i compared them you know and it was so amazing because the shell of the of the bad egg was yeah. uh, was very thin mm -hmm. and the white was very runny you know it was like almost like water and the yolk was tiny and it was pale you know and the other one had like this giant yellow yolk it's very thick um the white part was very thick and the shell was very thick i mean they were just so different and it's just really clear that you're getting a lot more than no glyphosate or less glyphosate is huge but there's a lot of other good things about eating organic as well a lot, a lot better nutritional value and totally worth it because if you think of any of these diseases if you get cancer imagine the money you're gonna have to spend let alone the, the grief of having to deal with cancer but just the money alone it's going to take a long time to to add up enough extra money spent on organic to compensate for having a diagnosis of cancer. You know, you can avoid that diagnosis by eating organic. Why wouldn't you do it? One of my favorite quotes is you either pay the farmer now or you pay the pharmacist later. So I think that's a perfect way to wrap up this episode. And again, you just literally blow my mind. I was just trying to take <laughs> it all in. I'm going to have to listen back to this like multiple times and I just think you're a wealth of knowledge and I love the work that you're doing and the research, the papers that you're writing. And I know that you probably get some backlash, like you said, from, um, from <laughs> certain people. Yeah. But there's then the other camp, the side that I'm on who really supports you and all the work that you do. And for everyone listening, could you just tell us a bit more about how they can find out more about you um, like mm -hmm. your website or anything like that and I know that YouTube and podcast app is a gold mine of all of your work you've been on loads of different right. episodes so definitely go and search Stephanie on there and you'll find you'll probably get three years worth of content on there but let <laughs> us know where, they, where people yeah. can find more about you yeah and if you can remember my last name S-E-N-E-F-F -E it's sufficiently rare that if you just search on that you'll, mm -hmm. you'll get a bunch of stuff um, and I have a web page at MIT, which is uh, a little bit cumbersome. Uh, you can post that on my on your page, but uh, people, P-E-O-P-L-E dot C-S-A-I-L, C -S -A -I -L, that's my lab, Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, dot M-I-T dot E-D-U slash Sanif, my last name. So mm -hmm. that is where uh, you can type my name, find that page, open it up, and it's, it, it's just got a whole bunch of stuff. It's just, you know, you can load uh, slide decks and, and watch presentations or, uh, read papers. I have most of my papers that I've published over the last uh, 10 years are there. So you can um, rummage through those. If you want to get some real technical stuff, you can read the publications. But there's lots of stuff on my webpage. Yeah, we've, we've got some geeks listening, so I'm sure that people, they want to read the research. Um, and yeah, so thank you so much for your time, Stephanie. It's thank been so an absolute pleasure. Me. And I, I appreciate all that you do. And thank you for joining us on the Whole Ones in Harmony podcast. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. If you like this episode, please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. As a massive thank you gift, I'll send you a free guide, Six Steps to Hormonal Harmony. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review, then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. 
If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next step to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.